tonight will just be um, a session of Dave and I having a chat about um, the beauty of the gospel, and I think it's going to be it's going to be a cool chat. We haven't um, talked about it too much to each other, so hopefully, what you're getting is just really Dave and I just having a conversation uh, with each other and with all of you um, at the same time. So that'll be awesome. After that, um, we're going to have a Q and A. So with the Q and A, just to set sort of some ground rules, if you've got a question. Write it in the group. That way we can leave everybody else muted and Dave and I will get a chance to answer without um, sort of jumping around too much. So if you have a question during while we're speaking, um, you can write it or after you can write it as well. And Dave and I will take 15 minutes or so to answer as many of those as we can get to. Um, and then after that, it'll be breakout groups. So um, we'll go off into mini rooms of Zoom and we'll get to hang out with each other. So that way, it's not as chaotic and we get to, to actually spend some quality time with each other. How's that sound? Sweet as. Okay. So if you, um, I don't know how you guys want to do this, but I'm going to make Dave my main screen so that I can, I can concentrate on him. You guys can make whoever you want the main screen um, and, um, and uh, or mute your screen if you want. Um, and, um, and let's just tune in. So pin video to Dave. Minimize this. Dave, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Lovely. Dude, just, um, just a half an hour ago, you and I were on the phone very briefly and we were talking about the gospel and I started to sort of explain the gospel as I understood it. And even at the word, we had like different images pop into our heads. And um, so what I loved what you said about um, just that word. I don't think I'd heard that definition of the word gospel before. Do you want to share that with everyone? Sure. Yeah, so uh, I have the correct view of what God knows. <laughs> um, so the word gospel is uh, the Greek word euangelion, um, which is where the word evangelical or evangelic, uh, evangelical, you know, that, that word comes from. And what that means is it's a uh, uh, the, the context of that word that it's usually spoken in is the announcement of uh, the good news of a king arriving. So when you would have, a, you know, a, a dignitary coming along, um, and so you'd have the herald come across, along and they would declare, euangelion, good news, the gospel, which is uh, the king is on their way. You're about to have a royal visit. Um, and, yeah, like I was telling you over the phone, a lot of the time when we as Christians think of the gospel we automatically think of Jesus dying on the cross, dying for my sins so that I can uh, go to heaven someday. Um, but that's not the gospel that Jesus declared. The gospel that Jesus declared was that the kingdom of God is here and that he was the king of the kingdom of God. And that is what the euangelion is. Yeah. We're talking about the beauty of the gospel, right? And I think you don't like the day that you become a Christian, right? You, you have, you have this specific understanding of God, right? And um, you kind of, you kind of see it a certain way. And it is very much about, you know, heaven, hell. Um, I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross for me. Um, and I've got to, I've got to get saved, right? That's like day one of being a Christian is that overwhelming feeling of, oh my goodness, I need to be saved. I need to, to, to reach Jesus. Uh, or rather, you know, accept what he's done for me. But then 
the beauty of the gospel is this appreciation that comes with time, right? You, you now have a relationship with Jesus and that relationship has grown. And it, like the, the first time I, I, I heard the gospel or read about the gospel or thought about the gospel, it wasn't what you're saying. It wasn't the king and the kingdom. It was um, exactly what you said at the start, which, which it also is, but it's like, hey, you know, um, God reconciling man to himself. We broke a relationship. Jesus came to restore that relationship so that we can be a part of the kingdom and appreciate and, you know, serve the king and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me at the start, it was just, hey, save me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that beauty has come with more understanding and with more time. But what is it that sort of over time you've learned and you've come to appreciate about the gospel that you just started to describe? Sure. Well, I remember <clears throat> the first time that I, um, uh, well, that I accepted the gospel, if you wanted to put it that way, was uh, when I was a kid and I watched a scary movie and um, that was about the end times and, and the rapture and all these other things that are theologically contentious. So we won't talk about that tonight. But, um, but yeah, I watched this movie and I was terrified and I thought, hey, um, is God like, you know, I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to, you know, be in this bad situation with God. And so that was how I accepted the good news was through fear. Um, that was, you know, that's what the good news was for me. It was a, a way out of, um, of this bad situation. And then as time went on and particularly when I hit uni, um, a shift happened where all of a sudden, uh, it, it, I started to reevaluate what I believed in and reevaluate God and, and, you know, like what's true, what's not. And it came to this point where um, the good news became really in Jesus and it was who he was. It was how he lived his life. It's what humanity could be. Um, And uh, as corny as it sounds, I started to fall in love with Jesus in the sense of that, like there's no human being, past, present, or future that is like him. Um, And in him, I saw the good news. In him, I saw what it looked like to have a promise and a hope and a future and to be a human being that I could be proud of and by, you know, his strength that I could live into. Um, And uh, yeah, what he had to offer was the thing that um, was, yeah, was the good news and, and the thing that I kind of into and that when you say beauty of the gospel that's where my mind heads how about you that's that's exactly right i think like we talk about a lot of things in church and it's kind of like jesus is sometimes sort of the icing on the cake whereas jesus is the cake like everything that is in the bible everything that we think about and everything that we appreciate finds kind of its root in Jesus, like it finds its origin in Christ himself. And when he came, it, you know, the Bible talks about him being the image of the father, like of, of the God that we could never understand or never see, like the person who made everything that we see. And, and we get to sort of, we finally get to reach out and touch him and hear his voice in a way that we can understand and, um, you know, figure out why he did it. Like all these questions that we have that don't really have an answer because God is too big and we're too small and we can't sort of understand what he's trying to do is too big. We get to finally hear an answer in Jesus. What, what was he trying to do? You know, what was his intention with making us this whole time? Like, what does he want from the world that he created? And 
for me, the beauty is in um, that person that is so much bigger than me, so much more complicated than me, so much more powerful than me, um, like leaving his throne and, and coming down to make me understand like that that person wants to be in a relationship with me. And I think we'll, we'll dig more into this in a second, but like really the, the core of the beauty of, of the gospel is exactly that in, in knowing more of Jesus. But automatically, as you get to know more of Jesus, there's a contrast that begins to happen because you see more of yourself. You're like, well, this is what I was, like you said, this is what I'm supposed to be. Look at how patient Jesus is. Look at how courageous he is. Look at how firm and loving and kind and faithful and like, you know, all of these things that I am not, like that I just, I just am not. And so the more that you see of him and the more you appreciate of him, the more you realize that there is very little to appreciate about you. And that you are a very, very broken reflection of what he intended you to be. And, and it brings you into this place of like, really, the, the, the question for me became after, after a while, like, what, why do you love me? Like, what, what is it that you saw in humanity to begin with that made you, you know, go to this extreme length? to get our attention, to win our love, to reconnect us with you. Like, you know, if it was anything else or anybody else, you would say, this is too far gone. Like, scrap it up, throw it in the bin, it's done. But the beauty for me is just this unrelenting love of God that would, would take something so broken and would be so determined to restore it to... Like, he had a vision, man. He had a vision for what the world would be, what we would be, how we'd be in relationship with him. And he pursues it, even if it cost him his life, he is going for it and he is unrelenting to that purpose. And yeah. that is just, you know, mind blowing to me. So that's where it sort of begins as you begin to dive in. But Yeah. The beauty, the, yeah, the beauty of that is that that's from the very beginning of the Bible. Yeah. God, God's desire to, um, love humanity to be in relationship with humanity and to provide a good world um, where humanity can flourish and, and like partner with him and his creativity and his, his wonderful, you know, things that's page one and uh, yeah. paradise lost. And, and then the, the rest of the story is all about, well, the good news is the King isn't done. The King uh, is, is, is on a mission um, and um, that mission is to to bring us back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I it's, remember. I was sorry. I was just going to say. I remember. Uh, I can't remember who said this, but someone said something like, "You know, out of all the religions um, that kind of claim different things about God and humanity and reality and all this kind of stuff, Christianity has one." And obviously, this person's biased. I think they were a Christian, but uh, but they were saying something like. Christianity has the most, um, uh, I guess, weighty uh, or, or um, profound kind of evaluation of, of humanity, human nature, and God and, and his nature. And I, I see that. I relate to that every time I, I look at human beings and I look at myself and I look at who God is through what the Bible says. It, yeah, it strikes a chord. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe we'll touch on this a little bit 
sort of further down the line, but what, what makes the gospel of, of Christ unique? Like there are a lot of people preaching a lot of different things around the world. Mm. A lot of people asking you to subscribe to their belief system. Mm-hmm. Why am I not um, Buddhist? Why am I not Muslim? Why am I not? What is unique about um, Christianity? And you answered it before, it's Christ. But what is this message that he's preaching? What, why is it so unique? Why is it so captivating? Whenever we hear about it, you've read and heard of all of these other things, but you've never encountered anything like Jesus Christ. And when you do, you go, what? Like it stops you in your tracks, right? If you have encountered him. And so I, I think, you know, the, the most fundamental sort of, the most basic view of the gospel um, before we get to sort of the long, the, the, the long term, which is king and kingdom, like or the, the point, which is king and kingdom, is just John 3.16, a verse that probably everybody in this chat can, can quote off the top of their heads. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I, I was thinking about this recently, actually, because I, I, I wrote, or I started to write anyway, like a couple of blog posts, like just a couple of thoughts, and Instagram has a word limit, right? So I'm... I'm trying to condense this thought into like, so I don't like waffle on. So I'm like, but I, I, and I try to make it as short as I can, but I'm like, I can't take any more words out of this. But what blows my mind is that John 3.16 is like the richest story in the shortest amount of words like possible, right? You've got like the depth of love. You've got, you know, for God so loved the world that he created, right? You've got, um, the sacrifice element that he gave, the gift element, right? You have just life and death and, you know, high stakes and all this kind of stuff that is just wrapped up in this tiny sentence that just sums up God's heart and, like, you know, man's calling and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just it blows my mind. But again, the beauty of it for me comes in the contrast. Like, you only recognize that something is pretty when you put something ugly next to it. You only recognize that, you know, it's dark when there's no light there. There's a, like, there has to be a contrast where, you know, for me, God being the purest and the most whole being that exists comes to stand next to me, the most broken and the most kind of messed up thing in the universe at the moment. And he wants to sort of claim me back and say, no, I want you to be part of this. I'm doing something here and I want you to be a part of it. Like, and we talk about, the, you know, I love, I love John 3.16 because it says um, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? Good news to me is only good news if there's bad news. Like, if there was no bad news, then all news is just news. There's no good, there's no bad. It's just news, right? Mm. But there are two sides to this coin, like, if there's love, then that means there's hatred. If there's acceptance, it means there's rejection. If there's heaven, it means there's hell, all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and when you talk about kingdom and, and kingdom, you know, Jesus comes as the king and you see Israel rejecting. Like all of these people who put their palm leaves down when he walks into Jerusalem are literally the same people seven days later standing in front of Pilate screaming, crucify him, right? Um, so... Jesus is laying out, hey, this is, this is the gospel. This is God's heart for humanity. This is how to be in relationship 
with me. This is how to be a part of the kingdom and how to, um, you know, be in the family. Um, but you have a choice. Like, you don't, you don't have to accept that. You can say, I don't want this person to be my king. Like, mm. this, I, I, I don't accept that. And you can go your own way and make yourself king, right? And that's sort of, why does the world need this message? Like, why? Because we talked about why it's unique and all this kind of stuff. But if that is the message, why is it important that the rest well, of the world use it? Well, I think the answer to the, the, that question is, um, the answer of why it's so unique and it's because it tells you both the problem as well as it tells you the solution um, I think that again like if you were to look at many other different religions or whatever else um, they'll they might pose a problem but uh, and they might also pose a solution but like what? Try, Give an example. Oh, okay so for an example uh, and I'm not I'm not an expert okay I want to say that right up front but from what I know of Buddhism, right? Um, uh, the problem is desire and, and like, you know, uh, yeah, just desiring things. And, and so the solution is detach, uh, disconnect, don't desire. That's how you reach enlightenment. That's how you kind of uh, transcend this, um, you know, existence. Um, and yet, people do that. Like people actually live that way. People do d deny themselves of desires and, and yet, you know, maybe, maybe they might be more peaceful or more content or, you know, there might be good things that come out of that, but, uh, but it doesn't, I don't think it fixes the world. Like when you look around and you say, well, if everyone just stopped desiring things, I don't think that that would be the solution um, to world peace or, or whatever. Right. Um, I think, I think it would help. I'm not saying it's not like, I think it's actually Jesus himself kind of talks about like, don't your, the desires of your heart should not be the primary like focus and, and like, yeah. you know, and in fact, the desires of your heart tend to be more evil than good and all these kinds of things. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't think that that is the core problem. Whereas what I see in the Bible, uh, is I see, I feel anyway, a correct diagnosis of the problem. Mm. And that is uh, humanity in and of itself, intrinsically our hearts are broken. Yeah. Uh, we are bent towards evil. And therefore the solution is we need new hearts. Mm. Um, and and, and the, the unpacking and unraveling of the story of the Bible is that when people try to give themselves new hearts, or try to like walk in step with, uh, you know, what it looks like to have a new heart, you'll fail, you'll fall. And then all of a sudden comes Jesus, who is God made flesh. And not only does he show us what it looks like to have this, this new heart, this real heart, this authentic humanity, um, but then he says, uh, as he dies and is resurrected, he says, I am the one who is going to give you that. Um, and then the story is that anyone who would put their trust in him uh, gets this new heart, gets this new uh, reality of being human. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that as we strive and journey towards him and wait the final, final revelation of what that looks like, like in reality, like we live in, in the kingdom now, but not yet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and yeah. about that later. But, um, but yeah, as we like journey in that process, guess what? if you're really a Christian and I, I, I know people who are and, and I see the change, 
um, guess what? You become a better person and not just a better person, but things, good things, things that you wouldn't um, expect to see start to happen around you. Um, not necessarily miracles, but uh, just the transformative power of God in you um, also spills out uh, to the world around you. And I do think that enough of that uh, eventually permeating through people and permeating through the world will uh, be the solution that we all need. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that's what's unique, but it's also uh, what's so remarkable about the gospel. And what's, and what's needed, and I love that at the end there, you touched on the impact that the gospel has had or accepting the gospel has had, becoming a part of the kingdom, reconnecting with God and, 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 and you know, mending that broken relationship through what Jesus did on the cross. But you mentioned what impact that has, right? Like on, on your life personally, on mine, um, and on everybody else who has become a part of that, who has accepted that. There is a change. Like there is no coming to Jesus and nothing happening. Like that, that's just then you haven't come to Jesus. Like there, there is no middle ground in that. Either your whole perspective will change and the way that you live your life will change and the things that you desire will change. Um, now, you might be drawn to the old things, but you're also drawn to new things. And I think that's the difference. Like before I was just drawn to the old things. There was, no, there was nothing else on my horizon. There was nothing else in my thinking. It was just, this is my life. But now there is literally new life there is a new life to live out to live into mm. uh, and i think that just to, to, to sort of speak into that for a second like my desires those desires of my heart right which are evil most of the time right um like i think when you come into contact with like let's say when you got married right um you're married i'm not so i'll use you as the example um like, let's say you figured out that Sarah doesn't like, I don't know, when you leave a dish next to the sink, but not, you know, but, and don't wash it or whatever. Let's just say that that's... Oh, man. Like, um, a list of rules that yeah, like, she doesn't like when it comes to the dishes. Let's, let's you know, let's, let's assume that that was that. But you, you love Sarah, right? You fell in love with her. You married her. You love, and, and when you see that, even when you do it, you're like, oh, man, like, probably shouldn't be doing that. Like, I, I, love, I love my wife. If this annoys her, I don't want to pursue it. Like, I don't actually want to do what, you know, hurts her or annoys her or, you know, breaks her heart or whatever. And, and so there are new desires there that are born out of knowing Jesus, that are born out of literally falling in love with him. And you said it right. I don't think that that's corny at all. I think that's it's exactly what it is. We have the physical, like what it's, we, we know kind of from, you know, relationships and sitcoms and whatever that I fell in love with this person and how that changes, you know, your perspective completely. And like, you want to please them. You want to be near them. You want to be with them. You want to hear from them. You want to speak to them. And um, that's exactly what it is to fall in love with Jesus. I want to hear from him. I want to read his word. I want to pray. I want to speak to him. I want to share my day with him. I want to hear what he has for me. I want to do what I know pleases him and stop doing what I know he doesn't like or hurts him or breaks his heart or, um, and, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good time to really assess before we say, you know, the world needs this. We know they need this because everybody has that emptiness and they need the love of God. They need to 
reconnect with their purpose, to become a part of what God intended um, this world to be. But before we go preaching it to them, do we really believe? Like, I, I think, hmm. you know, it's, I think it's easy to talk about and it's interesting to talk about. This is an interesting conversation, but um, when the chips are down and especially like, you know, what you're seeing now, the state of the world, like how much do we cling to our faith? How much do we believe that, that Jesus is who he says that he is, mm. that he does love us as much as he says he loves us. Does he, you know, he does keep us in perfect peace. He hasn't, his purposes haven't been kind of thrown into whack because, you know, the world is a crazy place right now. Um, you know, how much do we really hold on to that? You know, what's your take on sort of where we're at with that as a church? Yeah, well, uh, in James, you know, faith without uh, works is dead. Like, not to say that, uh, you know, your works make you have faith or, or are your faith. But, but the idea is, if I say Jesus is king of the world um, and he's king of my life, and he loves me and he gave his life for me on the cross. And then all of a sudden I turn around uh, and, and, you know, he calls me to love others and all this kind of stuff. And then I turn around and I look at the last roll of toilet paper on the shelf. Um, and I see a little old lady who's behind me and I snatch it away from her. And I'm like, get out of here. It's my toilet paper and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, then, you know, my faith is dead because my work's, are not in line with there is a there is a gap between what I say I believe what I say I who I trust and and who who it is that I've given my life to and and what my my actions declare um, and that's a re, like that's a really challenging like this is you ask any Christian um, I even think you see it in the in the in the um, apostles' writings you mm -hmm. ask any Christian. Uh, when you see them, they struggle with this. They're like, why is my life not more like Jesus? Why, yeah. is my, why aren't my actions more like Jesus? And it's something I struggle with every single day. Um, yeah. But uh, I think the key is that that struggle is, is, is from God. Uh, that struggle is uh, him prompting us and nudging us and saying, hey, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. You did the wrong thing there. You should turn around, apologize to that lady, give her that roll of toilet paper. And then it's my choice, just like it is in, in my marriage to Sarah, is my choice whether or not I will follow through with that prompting, that urging or not. If I don't have that prompting, that urging to begin with, well, then something is probably quite seriously wrong and I might be deluding myself. If I have that prompting and I repeatedly ignore it, well, then also there's something seriously wrong there as well in that relationship. But if I, you know, I think as human beings, I think the, the I think that there is going to always be that tension and that struggle. And yeah. I don't think that that's something that should make us uh, be like super whatever weird about it. But, but, but yeah, we should recognize that prompting and that tension and we should aim to use it to actually motivate us rather than hinder us and, and kind of depress us. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the verse that says, you know, when we confess our sins, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive yeah. our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The verse assumes that you're going to sin. Mm -hmm. If we confess, which means you've sinned, like at some point along the line, 
you've sinned and we sin every day. The point isn't to accept sin and to go, it happens, like, but to, to recognize it and to like, bring it into the light and to say to Jesus, hey, this was the wrong thing. Can we take this away, move on from it, make me more like you, more and more and more like you? And I think the beauty of the gospel and another element of that is that there's, there's, a, there's a journey of becoming. Like, exactly like you said, the kingdom is sort of, is here, but it's not. Like, it is here, but it's still coming. Like, it's still becoming what it was always, you know, supposed to be. There's a full version of this. Yeah. Um, where Jesus is king. Yeah. Yeah. And that reality, that, that kingdom of now and not yet, um, that reality exists in our world. Like, we look around our world and we say, what the heck? Like, th- there's something wrong here. Um, yeah. There's something inherently wrong. And again, you know, as a Christian, you look around the world, you say there's something wrong here. Um, and, and you recognize that, that there is still something yet to come. Yeah. Uh, but also it exists in our own lives as well. The kingdom now and not yet in my own heart. Um, that it's now because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and, and I'm mm-hmm. redeemed and I'm saved. But not yet because one day I will be made completely brand new. I will be yeah. completely transformed. Um, I will see him face to face. I will know as I am fully known. Um, so, so yeah, that, and that tension um, is another really challenging part of the good news because it's, it's like, well, why, like, why can't I just like immediately, well, why don't, why don't, why don't I just get zapped to heaven as soon as I believe or why, you know, things like that. And like, why is there this process? And I think, I think, well, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that we have work to do, man, that God has chosen to um, show his name, show himself to people, spread his message through human beings that are like broken and weak and who screw up all the time. And he gives us the ability to like, take his hand and partner with him and do something insane in this world. Like all of the things that he wants to do as part of that kingdom, um, you know, in the process of, you know, before that, the, you know, the kingdom of now, but not yet when it is yet, when it is the time and he is the king and all things are, you know, under his rule and his reign um, until then, he chooses to make us ambassadors of that kingdom. Like, mm-hmm. and literally an ambassador, like understands the laws of his country, understands the message of his king very clearly, understands the, like, you know, the heart of his nation and their customs and their, like, it's just, it's, it's, I love that word, that word ambassador is like taking everything that heaven is, putting it into you and then like representing it well to a world that, has no idea what that is, has never seen it, has never experienced it. And God makes us ambassadors of that kingdom. But, but like, if you think, I just thought of this now, if you think about it, we are the best spokespeople for God's transformative power. Because it's like, hey man, like, because you don't go up to somebody and go, I, I am now perfect. Accept Jesus so you can become like me. That's, that's not what it is. It's man, hey, I am a beggar. I was a beggar. Like I I understand what it is to be hungry and thirsty and, and all of these things. 
but I have found the wellspring of life. I have found the bread of life. I have found purpose when I was purposeless. I have found, and so again, contrast, like I am still struggling with this, but I've found an answer to it. And because I'm a human being like you, and I haven't, you know, I haven't become this magical other thing all of a sudden, you can still relate to me and you can still find the source of, you know, you can still relate to the source of where I found all of this healing and all of this food and all of this fulfillment and joy and whatever. Because two weeks ago, I was just like you, but now I'm different. So you, I am a walking billboard of the grace of God, or at least I should be, right? Yeah. It's really touched that. So no, I, I think it's amazing that God has given us a part to play in bringing his kingdom to, to earth and, and showcasing it to the world. Yeah. Kind of inviting them into it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And uh, that's another challenge of what it looks like to, you know, yeah. buy into this gospel is, uh, well, how, how, you know, my life now is supposed to be on show and um, how do I do that? Um, and the answer there, I think, is by God's grace and by his help. Yeah. Um, and yeah. By, by imitating you know, Jesus and by really finding out, because again, if you're an ambassador, like, do you want, do you know the nation that you come from? Like, do you, you know, Paul says, my citizenship is in heaven. Mm. I, I'm not from here. Like, he talks like that. He lives like that. He thinks like that. He, he you know, and when he, you go to the Old Testament with Abraham, the dude lived in a tent his whole life because he knew that God promised him a home and he knew that that home wasn't here. So he literally, a tent is a collapsible structure. You just, you fold it up and you pack it up and you keep moving. Like nobody ever looks at a tent and goes, I'm going to live there for 90 years because he was expecting to go home every day. He's like, no, this is, he's leading me home. I, I'm, any of these places that I stop over at, I'm not actually home. I'm going home. And so he, he, his thinking is drenched in, I don't belong here. And I'm going to live according to where I actually do belong. And you're right, that's a massive challenge. And maybe a, a closing sort of sentiment to um, our time, just because, you know, we don't want it to get away from us. When I go, you know, how much do we believe this really? Because we've talked about the beauty of the gospel, right? And all the wonderful things that come with being a part of the family, the, the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. But if you're not a part of that kingdom, there are serious, serious ramifications that can't be ignored as part of this discussion, right? Mm -hmm. um, the world needs to hear it because it is a restoration of their purpose and the beauty and all of these things that we've discussed. Mm -hmm. But if you actively choose to reject the king, the king doesn't force himself on you. He goes, you, you know, this is, this is what I'm offering you. Life Peace, beauty, joy, and eternity in, you know, all of this kind of stuff in that state with me, restored. And you can go, I don't want any of that. I want the opposite of it. And, you know, we, we say in this, you know, this might come up in one of the questions, but God doesn't send anyone to hell. They send themselves there by choosing to reject what he is offering, right? If I'm drowning and somebody throws me one of those lifelines, and I don't grab hold of it. I am choosing to drown. Like that's the reality of it. But the beauty of the gospel, again, contrast, gives contrast to what life without the gospel is. Because 
if we describe heaven as or, or the full, you know, the kingdom of Christ coming into full effect, right, which is heaven, it is perfect beauty, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect light. Like it says, there's no sun in heaven, that Jesus Christ is the light of heaven and all this kind of stuff, right? By contrast, if you choose to reject that, you God says, that's fine. You just won't get those things because you don't want them. Yep. So you get perfect darkness, perfect misery, perfect hopelessness, mm. perfect lack of purpose, yeah. perfect, you know. I think, yeah. yeah, I think when you, when you put it that way, because uh, I'm putting myself in the, in the mind, uh, the headspace of a few atheist friends and whatnot, when you put it that way, it kind of sounds like a bit of an, uh, a, a rude God or like a bit of a manipulative, yeah. manipulative God. Yeah. Um, and to be honest with you, although everything you said I agree with, to be honest with you, I think probably a, a, a clearer way to kind of portray what the Bible is trying to talk about when it gives us this choice, this option, is, is kind of what we were saying to begin with, which is that the, the Bible comes up with it, the diagnosis, which is that you inherently as a human being, your heart is broken, you're, you're flawed to your core, and you need a new one. And God is the only one who can give you that new heart. Um, now, you as a human being can accept the diagnosis and accept the treatment, um, or you can decline it. Um, in which case, well, it's either the doctor was wrong or, you know, or you're going to suffer the consequences of rejecting the treatment, right? And, you know, speaking from experience, I have seen people who have come into my office and I say, you need this. And they say, no, I do not want this. Um, I, I saw on a very serious note, I saw a guy who was depressed, like very, very depressed. Um, and uh, I said, you need an antidepressant. He said no, and his family was very against it. Um, and then a month later, after a failed suicide attempt, um, he came into my office and said, give me that, that tablet, give me the, the antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And then another month later, completely different person, like completely different, uh, not reducing mental health down to just simply a pill or anything like that. It's way more complicated than that. But, but the idea is you have, there is a diagnosis, there is a treatment. Will you accept it? Do you believe you have that problem to begin with? Mm. And if you do and you, you believe in the treatment, well, guess what? You're on the journey to, 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 to finding out the, the, the fullness of what you can have. But if you don't believe in any of that, well, that's okay. No, no trick. You, you are an autonomous patient. You have free will. You can yeah. choose what you want. And, uh, and yeah, there are consequences to, to it. But you see, uh, the, the other key thing here is that Literally, and, and it's in John 3, 16, uh, that God did not want anyone to perish. God did not want anyone to suffer the consequences of, um, uh, of their disease. Um, and he freely obtained uh, the cure and he freely hands it out. It literally takes nothing other than a recognition of your need. That's mm. all it takes. There is no... A healthcare plan or anything like that that you have to sign and but the reality is you do need to recognize your need and you do need to recognize that he is the only one with the cure and that it can be a very bitter pill for some people to swallow oh, they yeah. do not want to see god 
as the only cure and they do not want to see themselves as the one with the problem. Um, yeah. You answered, you answered my last question there, which is if the gospel is so beautiful and the message of God is so like amazing and so free and so rich, why would anyone reject it? And you just answered that by going because nobody wants to see themselves as the patient with the problem. Um, nobody wants to accept that because when you ask anyone on the street, are you a good person? Nobody wants to answer no to that question. Nobody mm -hmm. is comfortable with that. And so I think it's a bit of pill for everyone to swallow. I don't think it's a, but um, you know, when you're drowning, you don't, and you realize that you're drowning, you don't think too hard about, you just, you just think, save me. Right. And, um, and thank God for that. Again, that, that contrast just to something that you said, um, and we'll end it there. But, um, you said you know, freely obtained and freely given. I think freely given, but not freely obtained in the sense that sure. you know, word, word, word play there. But um, like, again, the beauty comes in the gospel for me from the contrast. The contrast is that the gospel and the saving work of Jesus is the most free gift. Like, like, like you said, like you don't have to do anything at all. Jesus has already done all of it for you. You just have to recognize that you are sick and you need help and then ask him for that help. And it's yours. It's yours forever. But he didn't obtain it freely. And it's, it's the most free expense, most expensive gift at the same time that was ever the highest price paid for the richest gift given with no cost to you. But there was a cost to the person who bought the gift for you. A gift is always free when you get it at your birthday party. But the person who bought it for you has to pay for it. And Jesus paid very, very dearly to obtain our freedom and to give us a spot back in that kingdom and to bring us back into that family because the rack, the debt that we had racked up and that we've continued to rack up is immeasurably large. Um, and so just thank God for the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ um, and, and the beauty that is found in that so um now we might just open it up i don't know whether any questions have been um coming through but if you've got one um you guys are more than welcome to send through some of those questions now be great time to um to chat through them yeah. chat about a lot of stuff in there so hopefully um, there's a question or two that can come out of that yeah so yeah, type up your questions and um, we'll, we'll, we'll um, answer them, hopefully, or at least discuss them. I guess, um, question for you, Chads. Uh, what did you see change when you first, uh, you know, accepted the gospel? What yeah. kind of things did you first start to see when, when you're gone? Um, I think like, Recognition of love and recognition of sin. Like, it's, it's hard to describe. Like, I'm like, wow, I am really loved. Like, this person really cares about me. Like, and there's, there's a, this happened over a long period of time. And there, there was a process to it that God kind of took, it takes everyone through. But um, a love for others as well that was born from that love. It's like you, yeah, sorry. Um, it's like you realize that you have been loved that much. And when you accept that, 
it's not something that you can contain easily. Like you actually have to fight or push against it to contain it. It is something that wants to come out and express itself to others. You want to take care of that guy. You think of where he's at. Like you want to talk to him. You want to make sure he's okay. Like you're not as self-centered as you once were. You're not as insulated in the bubble of just me, 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 me. Like the world is just, just becomes a bigger place really quickly with Jesus. Um, and like, it's just, you know, you see more, um, you experience more, you think of more, you feel more. Um, that's on the love side. The, the sin side is that, man, like I, um, like I've, I feel, and somebody was saying this a while back there, like when a dad tells their kids off, the kid, like it was one of my friends, I think the kid would start crying, but then would run to their dad and hug them while crying even though the dad just like yelled at the kid, right? Or just told the kid off. I think that's the most accurate picture of like what that's, what that's like in the sense that like, you know that this has hurt God, but instead of crying and running off and being like, I hate you, I don't want to talk to you. Every time you sin, you want to come, like you want to, you want to be restored to God. You want to press back into God and you want to be restored to him. So even though you're crying and it hurts, you want to like hug him again and be like, hey, I'm sorry. Um, and, and that was not the reaction before. Uh, and it's not, it's not the reaction that you have before um, Christ. The Bible said in, in um, Proverbs, you can see some things coming through, which is awesome. Um, that um, the sinner drinks iniquity like water or drinks sin like water. Like it's not, you don't recognize it. You don't feel it. It's fine. Like, oh, this isn't sin. This is just normal. Like it's drinking water. When you become a Christian, it's drinking poison and you start to feel the effects of that poison. You're like, whoa, shouldn't have drunk that. You don't recognize that before because the Bible describes you as dead. A dead person doesn't feel. A dead person doesn't think that way. A dead person doesn't. But now you're alive. So when you get stabbed, you feel it, right? There's a, there's a very different sensation there when you do sin or when you do something that hurts God or when you do. So th those two things I'd say are the two most profound changes, like, the broadening of my horizon through love, yeah. um, the recognition of like how bad sin actually is and how messed up I am when I actually engage in that um, sort mm. of sight. That's great, man. That's fantastic. Well, we've got a couple of questions. Uh, so we've got one question that says, how do you recognize that you're a sinner uh, when you've grown up in a Christian household and kept all the rules, so to speak, or how do you recognize your need for Christ? Um, Gravity. Me? All right. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different thoughts about this, a whole bunch of different branches of theology about this as well. Um, I think that uh, to kind of really simply and basically kind of tackle it, I would say that um, God really reveals your need um, that, in a moment, you recognize um, that, as you put it, sheds, uh, you're drowning. Um, and that without, um, without the revelation of God showing you that you need him, uh, you could be blind for the whole of your life. Um, in saying that, I think we all at different moments and different points in our life recognize that something isn't right, either in ourselves or in the world, or, or want to change and feel like stuck in, in certain things that we want to change in. But, um, but regarding you know, the fact that there's something intrinsically wrong with me, um, intrinsically wrong with the world, um, and, and, and the fact that God is the answer. Well, I think that 
uh, it's, a, it's a revelation from God. And I think for some people, it happens in, a, in an instant. For some people, they get that like instantaneous, oh my goodness, I need Jesus. And you'll hear lots of stories about people who have like a dream or a vision or whatever else, particularly in Islamic countries where Jesus comes to them and says like, you know, you need me and, and like I'm here and all this kind of stuff. Uh, particularly in a time of crisis, but also um, you'll hear other stories where they will journey and go, as you mentioned, you know, we're supposed to be ambassadors. They will journey and God will bring along their path, um, a Christian person. And through that relationship with that Christian person, their eyes will slowly be opened. Um, uh, Contrasting, uh, even looking at the Bible, contrasting two different examples. You've got um, someone like Peter, who was Jesus's disciple, who literally saw Jesus in the flesh and like witnessed him and his life and yet still betrayed him like the night before he was about to die. And it only after Jesus was resurrected, did he like kind of really have a full like resolution and healing and like, you know, kind of accepted into the fold again versus someone like Paul who instantaneously, um, uh, as soon as he was healed, the scales from his eyes left and, and he realized like, this Jesus guy is legit and, um, and I need to stop killing those who follow him. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but, but Jesus is the one behind both of those two stories. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think that whoever asked that question, there is a, a, a danger of sort of complacency when you do grow up in a Christian home, because you get everything handed to you on a silver platter, including the truth. Um, and, um, and, Ultimately, the work of conviction, which is what you're describing there, whoever asked the question, conviction being, hey, I have a need, like there is something inside me telling me something is wrong or there is a, there is a problem, there is a disease that needs healing. Um, that is the work of the Holy Spirit and it's described as the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings, um, you know, what's it called? What is it, Dave? The, um, you know, um, oh, man. The three things that, like, in that verse that the Holy Spirit does, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. But uh, convict um, and uh, whatever. Yeah. And I know well, yeah, of judgment, righteousness, and, you know, the wrath to come or something along those lines. So, there's, it's like, the recognition of your need, God opening your eyes is, yeah, is, is something that God, um, God does with each person. But I think just as a comfort to whoever it is asking that question, if you are asking that question and you're being sincere about it, um, it means that you know good things are happening there. If that makes sense, like that's that's a good indication that you're on the right track with that. If you are thinking that way, if you didn't care at all and you were like, yeah, whatever, that would be much more worrying than you asking, how do I know? And like, you know, what is the need? And um, you know, those those questions are very um, very healthy, very right, and if you follow them, will lead you exactly where you're supposed to go. So. Mm. Um, there's another question that says, we talked about how our actions have to be in line with what we say. In other words, faith without works is dead. Um, then how come God's actions aren't in line with his character? And, uh, the author of the question quoted or gave us Habakkuk chapter one, verses five and six, which, uh, says, Look among the nations and what actually I'm going to read it from my translation here. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days. This is God talking that you would not believe if told for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. In other words, this person is asking God, 
declares about himself. He's raising up an enemy army to come and destroy and like do all these uh, like destructive things. And yet he's the God of love and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, why, why can't he live up to his um, kind of, you know, side of things? And why do we have to live up to our, you know, calling or whatever else? Like, yeah. Um, oh, I, I hope I've interpreted that question correctly. What do you reckon? Um, I think that in the 21st century in particular, we, we dismiss um, the judgment of God. God doesn't judge. God is not. I read this thing um, really recently that was like, well, you know, if God loves righteousness, that means he has to hate sin. Like there is, there is a, you can't love something that intensely, that passionately without defending it, without protecting it, without destroying anything that would come against it. Right. And, and so this idea of God judging, whether it's through um, the Chaldeans or anybody else, there has to be a recognition that God is righteous in his judgment. God's judgment isn't, God has all the facts when he judges. He is fair in his judgment. He is right in his judgment. And he is the only one able to judge, which is why is that only God can judge me. Yeah, you're right. Only God can judge you. And he, and you know, you really hope that he doesn't. You really hope that, you know, you accepted that he judged Jesus on the cross instead of you. Um, and, that's the thing about going back to that point of, um, you know, God being consistent in his character and you and me and you talking about the free gift, Dave, but that, that Jesus still had to pay for it, right? If God wasn't consistent with his word, he would have just snapped his fingers and said, you're, you're forgiven. It's done. But the scales of justice had to be balanced. God did have to live up to his word. And so he said, somebody is going to pay for this. It's either going to be you or it's going to be my son, right? So you can either accept that the debt was paid by my son or you can pay the debt yourself. That's fine. Um, but somebody has to pay the debt. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. He didn't go. That would be inconsistent with his character. That would be inconsistent with his word. But he is fair, so fair that he would let his own son be destroyed under the weight of our sin then dismiss it and sweep it under the rug and go, you know what, I forgive you, just come back home, it's all good. No, somebody did have to pay. So I don't see any inconsistency at all in the judgment of God in the Bible um, because he is the only one who holds, I'll put it for you another way, when people stand, when all of us stand before God at the end, nobody, once they have seen what God sees, will be like, you know what? You made the wrong decision, God. You didn't give me this. You didn't, you know what? The reason I didn't accept was because of this and this and this. You weren't fair to me. You weren't, no one will say that. You, you read about judgment. You don't hear anybody speaking at that time because you will stand there with a mouth wide. You will have nothing to say because God's judgment will be perfect, just like everything else that he does. And so it's harshness doesn't take away from the fact that it's still the right thing to do in that moment. No. As, as hard as that answer is to understand, that's yeah. how I would portray it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult topic um, in young adults before the whole coronavirus thing happened. We actually went through God in the Old Testament, God in the New Testament. We looked at God's commands. We looked at God's judgment um, and like the, the, yeah, kind of addressed 
this question and it took us ages. I spoke for two hours about it. Uh, well, yeah, three hours actually. So, um, so yeah, it's not an easy question to answer, but, um, but you know, the, the very amazing thing about the Bible is that it really doesn't shy away from uh, portraying God's character. Um, and, and in fact, God's character is so complex and, and, and given like this tapestry of um, like all these different facets uh, to God's character that's explored. And obviously God's God is infinite. I mean, you'd, you'd hope that you were worshiping a God that, that was that. Otherwise, mm. what's the difference between worshiping just another person? But anyway, but, but the idea is that the Bible actually um, gives us this really multifaceted and rich uh, um, uh, view of who God is and, and particularly regarding his justice. There are times in the Bible where God's justice uh, well, actually, one consistent thing about God's justice and, and God's, um, God's essentially judgments um, are that for someone, it's good news. Uh, all the time for someone, it's good news. Um, so the, God's judgment against the Egyptians, God's judgment against the Egyptians, it was very good news for the Israelites. Yeah. Um, because, yeah because his judgment on the Egyptians led to their freedom from slavery and the, the Exodus. Uh, for the Israelites, God's judgment um, against the Israelites to uh, condemn them and to lead them to exile and to bring against them the Babylonians and the Assyrians and all this kind of stuff, even though it was God's people and he was judging them ferociously and fiercely, the good news there was, and you can read it in the book of Lamentations, the good news there is that if God is faithful to judge us and to stand up to his word that he will judge evil and he won't let evil stand and we have been evil, well, then how much more will God be faithful to redeem us and to save us and to give us the good things that he's also promised us? And that is the and for the early church. God's judgment of those who persecute and, and harm them and hurt them is that we don't need to fight back. We have a God who will set all things right and we don't need to be violent. We don't need to, to take uh, these things in our hand because we can trust God with that. And, and at the same time, try to save as many people from that judgment as much as possible because that is God's will, mm -hmm. uh, that, that none would perish but all should have uh, eternal life. And so, yeah, the way I would view it is, and, and the way that the Bible kind of really tells us is that God's judgment um, is actually, a, is actually a, a, a forward to the hope that comes after. Um, and you can focus on the judgment um, and you can choose to do that. And that can really be a stumbling, stumbling block for you or um, you could uh, you could focus on the fact that there is a bigger story at play than just simply the judgment. Um, and yeah, so that's what I would encourage you guys to. I think that's a great answer. Maybe we'll just take this last one here, sure. which is what's your way of, and maybe you and I will speak into this briefly. What's your way of answering the statement that my non-Christian friends say to me, which is if you were born in a Muslim home, you would also think that Islam is the truth. Um, I think that that's, that's a great question. It's one that I've asked a lot because I'm like, you know, and, and you said it uh, and it happened sort of around the same time for me and you, I think, where we went to uni and then the rubber kind of hit the road. Um, all of these people believe different things to you and they can argue them really, really well. 
um, and you are forced to re like figure out, hey, what is it that I believe? Why do I believe it? And is it true? There's a really dangerous phrase that's going around right now, which is, you know, speak your truth or that's your truth or like, you know, you believe that or whatever. And like, as if these two things can both exist at the same time and both be true at the same time. Truth is objective. Truth is not, you have your truth and I have my truth. One of us is wrong. Like we can't both be right. That's not how truth works. You can't say the moon is made of cheese and I say it's made of rock and we're both right. One of us is wrong. And so there comes a point in each person's life, whether you were born in a Christian home like me, of, of you guys can go to the Core Youth Podcast and they've spoken about this a bunch of times where I spent a year of my life doubting everything that I believed to the point where I was wondering whether there was a God at all. And that those were the worst three days of my life by a mile. So like if you want to hear, even if you were born in the most wonderful Christian home, everyone comes to a point where they question what it is that they believe and why it is that they believe it. And um, for the Muslim person, it will happen. For the Christian person, it will happen. But the second part of my answer to that would be, we have a responsibility, myself included, and I feel the weight of the conviction as I say it in this chat, because I'm like, man, I have friends who I need to speak to as I'm, I, that, are, that are coming to my mind as I say this. So, you know, take it from me in love and with the humility that I need to do this too. Um, we have been tasked with this verse that says, you know, how will they believe if no one preaches to them, right? Um, we have a responsibility to share the truth with people so that if you know that your friend is in a Muslim household and he, you know, he's feeling this way and, and he only sees one version of the truth uh, or, or what he believes sincerely to be the truth, you need to show him something else um, in order for that struggle to actually begin. And then if God is who he says he is, God will defend himself. God will make himself clear and plain and God will as we were saying, we'll begin to convict and all of those kinds of things. And then the choice will be presented to him, just like everybody else. Hey, um, you know, do, do I become a part of this kingdom or do I uh, remain my own king? So that's, Dave, what's, what's your take? Sorry, I muted myself. Sorry. Um, what's the, what was the question again? Uh, the question is, um, uh, what's your answer to the statement that oh, yeah that's right yeah um yeah what if i grew up in a in a non-christian family i would believe what the other people believe uh yeah look we are shaped by our families um we are shaped by our collective experiences um uh, and individual experiences we are a product of uh everything around us um there's a, a great saying uh which is that um we all have will it's rarely free. Um, usually it's bought and bargained for by all the influences around us. And, um, and I believe that. Um, but in saying that, uh, you know, here's the thing. You do have the, well, first of all, there's a few things that I take uh, based on faith and also based on, I think, just what I've witnessed in, in life. And that is that, Ultimately, if you're a seeker of the truth, um, uh, you will, and this is what God says, uh, you know, you look for truth, you'll find truth. He is the truth. He is the truth. 
um, and uh, and that the the path towards truth I think will inevitably at some point lead you to Jesus. Um, whether or not you then conclude that Jesus is the truth is is up to you. But but um, but yeah, I think that like that path to seeking that will will I think eventually lead to Jesus. However, um, uh, you know some people, a lot of us are, are numb uh, in life. A lot of us will live life, and and I think that this is actually a a a, a tactic of the enemy um, that w- will distract us from really caring about anything um, other than like just basic stuff like food and money and and relationships and all this kind of stuff, and we get absorbed by the superficial things in the world, um, and uh, which aren't bad, but we're just caught up in them, and uh, and and yet yeah, we we just get numb. So uh, I think that the challenge is um, to seek the truth um, and to be people who actually serve. And I think that uh, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has hid eternity in the hearts of man. Um, In other words, uh, there is a longing in every single human being on this planet. Is there something more here? Um, Am I made for more? And um, I think that that yearning uh, for that truth and for that, like what, what more is there? I think it will eventually bring you to Jesus's feet. And then it, it, from there, it's, it's up to you to evaluate it. And if you come at it with your prejudice and you come at it with your whatever, um, well, yeah, you'll probably say no. Um, but if you come at it uh, objectively, like many people have, and, and if you guys have ever heard of this guy called Lee Strobel, who wrote these books called The Case for Christ, Christ and the case for the creator and things like that. Um, this guy was a, was a journalist, um, a very like, you know, well-regarded journalist. And uh, he was an atheist and he was like, you know what, I'm going to evaluate and investigate Jesus and Christianity as if like from a journalistic point of view and see if it holds ground. And if not, then I'm going to smash it uh, and destroy it. And, you know, it'll be a, a great bestseller and whatever else. And what he ended up, what ended up happening was he became a Christian because when he evaluated the evidence, when he evaluated, not just intrinsic to the Bible and intrinsic to history, but when he evaluated like other people and people's lives who have encountered Jesus. um, And when he eventually encountered God himself, he, he, his defenses were worn down and, and he was a guy who, who, had his eyes open and realizes I'm drowning and I, and Jesus is the only one who could save me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think that yes, in a way it's true. Sorry, Rana, I'll try to wrap it up right now. In a way it's true um, that, yeah, you, who you're born into and all that kind of stuff will shape a lot of your worldview and your perspectives. But it's also true that if you look for truth um, that um, you, I think will at least come across Jesus and then from there, you'll either be captivated or you'll be repel- repulsed. Um, and that is the, the paradox and the dichotomy of Jesus. Um, yeah. And yeah. Jesus doesn't give you the opportunity to do nothing. Yeah. That's like, it's just, that's it. As soon as you've met him, there's a crossroads. There is, am yeah. I going to go left or am I going to go right? There is no, I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a big part of the challenge. But when you're drowning, you don't want to sit here. You just want to be saved. So um, I, I think the last thing is that God is bigger than that. God is bigger than the homes that we were born into, the belief that we've held before, the numbness in our hearts, all of that stuff. God is bigger than that. Um, and he is, if he sent his own son, allowed him to die for you, 
he will move heaven and earth to reach a person. He already has done that. Um, and so like, let's be praying about that. Let's be, um, you know, if you've got that friend, pray for that friend, ask for the opportunity and the wisdom that God would give you a chance to, um, you know, preach the gospel to that friend and that he would encounter him and soften his heart. And, um, and, and yeah, so the, the gospel is rich and deep and beautiful and gorgeous. And, um, there is so much to enjoy the more that we grow in relationship um, with Jesus and, and not just to enjoy from a mental point of view of this is a nice thought, but to live out and to live into. Um, and this is why we encourage each other as, as the church to, um, to, to be a part of that kingdom and to serve the king. Mm. Um, so praise God. Dave, do you want to maybe close in prayer for us and then we'll head into sure. Uh, before we do that, I just want to like recognize I'm still getting a couple of questions. One or two of them have been private. Um, we'll continue this, but we'll, for the purposes of like recording and whatever else, we'll wrap it up here. Um, but yeah, we'll, don't worry. This won't be the end for the rest of us. Okay. All right. Let's pray. And, um, and then we'll have a chat afterwards. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you that we can spend time together uh, even when we're not. Um, we thank you, Lord, that um, we can also spend time with you whenever because you opened up the door um, for a relationship with you again, Lord. We thank you for the beauty of the euangelion, the good news, the gospel, Lord. We thank you that you are here, um, that this place, uh, this world in our hearts, they're your kingdom, um, and that you want your kingdom to come uh, now as it is in heaven, and that you choose to use us to partner with you to do that, Lord. Help us to be good ambassadors help us to be people who really show you display you help us to be people who really live in step with you to love others and to serve and help others um, and lord um, help us also to see you for who you really are and not for what we want you to be in jesus name we pray amen amen